And so we need a sign. And in fact, uh, back in the days of Isaiah, that's really how this prophecy of Christmas was started. It started as a sign. And I want to go there with you so that you'll understand that this season is really important. Now, now there's debates as to whether we should be allowed to have Christmas as a celebration. You know, in this nation, we used to always have Christmas symbols and signs, Merry Christmas, all that. And as we are more secularized, they want to eliminate that and, and uh, have it a general landscape for everybody, but that shouldn't stop the believers from celebrating this sign that has come. And we need signs. How many of you have signs? You put lights out on your house. Anybody put lights out on your house? That's a sign. You believe in the light of God in a dark world. We, we put signs out there at Christmas. And even in the church, there's debates. Well, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. You know what? Hold up the sign doesn't matter. Hold up the sign when he was born. It's a sign to the world. God so loved the world, he what? Gave his only begotten son. Somebody tell the world that. It's a sign. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning, the sign of what God gave to us. And that's going to start in Isaiah chapter 7. Because God was speaking to this particular king. This fellow here is Ahaz. And in Isaiah 7, let's get the history of what took place so that we can fully comprehend what's going on in this portion of Scripture. King Ahaz is the king of Judah. All right, Israel's been taken over by Assyria. He's the king of Judah, but he's a nasty king. He's not a good king. And what's happening is is, uh, the tribes from uh, the other countries are coming in and bearing down on Judah, and Ahaz is getting scared. So Ahaz is looking for a sign that God's going to help him. God's going to protect him. And what Ahaz figures out is, I'm going to make a deal with the king of Assyria to protect us. And so he calls on Isaiah, and Isaiah says, this is not a good idea, king. You need a sign from God. And Isaiah says this as he is Letting Ahaz know something. It's interesting. Isaiah says in chapter 8, he says, Here I am with the children the Lord has given to me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, consult the spirits of the dead and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people consult their God? Ahaz stopped going to mediums and witchcraft and tarot cards and everything else. How many of you know the world is going to anything they can find for a sign? Isaiah says, There have been signs given you, and in fact the children that are born unto me are a sign to Israel. And so God begins to unveil a mystery. That in children being born to the prophet, born to Israel, if they will, they will be a sign and a wonder to the nation that God is there for them. And so Ahaz thinks about it, and Isaiah says, look at my child. His name is Shereshub, which means the remnant will return. Now that's hope and a promise that, that whatever the enemy does, God's going to bring a remnant back. And he gave that sign. And so then, he says to Ahaz, God would ask you, Ahaz, ask for a sign. God's already given 
my son to you as a sign. He will use my children as signs to Israel. You go ahead, ask for a sign. Come on. Stop going to mediums and who mutter and spit and uh, use all these things. Go to God. Here's your chance, buddy. Ask. Ask for a sign. Ahaz sits there and he's thinking. But see, as you'll read this story out, and you can read it at home, what you'll find out is he was pretty much convinced in his own mind he needed to just deal with Assyria and make a deal with them. So he says, oh, no, no, I... I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't ask God for a sign. I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to, dude, the prophet's saying, ask. No, I couldn't ask. I couldn't do that. And so God is a little upset with him. And God says, you should have asked. <laughs> and, and so that's where in Isaiah 7:14. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, it's not enough for you to try the patience of men. Will you also try the patience of God? God is asking you to ask of Him. Ask of me. How many of us will not ask God for what we're seeking because, well, He's not going to answer. Well, He's given me enough. Well, I don't, I don't know whatever your excuse is, but God is saying, Come to me with boldness. Enter my throne room with confidence. He gave the king an opportunity to ask for a sign, and he wouldn't. And God said, this was your chance, pal, and you missed it. Therefore, he says in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore is a very important word. Because therefore is a result of the previous actions. Correct? So Ahaz was offered a sign for the sake of the safety of Israel, he refused to ask it because when you read this, you'll sense and know that Ahaz already made up his mind to put his strength on the arm of man and his deal he could make with Assyria. So God says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Do you see the shift? This is God's sign now. Ahaz, you had a chance. And I was going to work through you to make something happen, but God says, now it's on me. And therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is good or bad, what is, uh, and eat butter and honey, uh, for before the boy knows to reject what is good and choose what is bad, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you your people and the house of your father such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. The king of Assyria is coming. Now, something's taking place here. God says, uh, therefore I am going to give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. And then he goes on. And so he's speaking into an actual account in history, but also he established something in the heavenlies that overrides that time period. And so he says, the virgin shall conceive, and when that child that's born, the child that's going to be born, by the time he's 12, his bar mitzvah, when he determines between good and evil, that's in the Jewish society, when you became a man according to the law. So by the time he's 12 years old, now the time clock is ticking for, for uh, uh, Ahaz. And he says, by the time that child's 12 years old, those two kingdoms you're worried about are going to be dispersed and split. All right? 
But because you wouldn't ask of me, because you wouldn't go of me, Assyria's on the way. Now, so, in chapter 8, Isaiah prophesies. And he says this. He says, I'm going to marry that woman, the prophetess. She was a virgin. And I'm going to have a child. And I'm going to name that child... Well, wait till you see this name. Isaiah says, uh, Maher Shalah Hashbaz. That's a mouthful. So Isaiah goes to his, his new wife, who is a virgin. They have a child, and he names her Maher Shalah Hashbaz, which means quick to plunder, swift to spoil. Now, wait a minute. Let me ask you something. God said the virgin would have a child, and what was that child's name supposed to be? Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. So Isaiah goes ahead, has the child with his wife who's, who's you know, not been married yet, so she's a virgin, has a child, and doesn't name the child Emmanuel, but names the child Maher Shalah Hashbaz. Quick to plunder, swift to spoil. And that's what happened to Judah. So what is going on here with the sign that was supposed to be given? Ahaz was asked, ask of me of a sign. He refused. God said, therefore, I the Lord will give a sign. And God establishes the sign. Though Elijah, I'm sorry, Isaiah said, my children are the signs. So he has a kid, he names him, but it's not Emmanuel. Therefore, what we know is happening in this situation is there's something happening in the heavenlies. That as Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz about the promised child, he gets a kid that's assigned to Israel. That means Assyria is going to mess you up anyways because you didn't listen to me. But God spoke through Isaiah and said there will be a sign. He shifted in the tense of Isaiah 7 from saying to, speaking to Ahaz to then said to the house of David, I the Lord will give you a sign. And so in the heavenlies he speaks of another dimension of a child that God is going to give as a sign. And the name of that child shall be what? Emmanuel, God with us. And then Isaiah begins to prophesy a little more about this child who is not Maher Shabba, the other guy, but is Emmanuel. And he starts to speak because Isaiah has his two sons that are signs to Israel, but he's speaking prophetically by God to the next realm or that of Emmanuel, God with us. And as he speaks it, he begins to write further. In Isaiah 9, 6, he says, of this son that is coming to the house of David, a child is born and a son is given. The government or all authority shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called, we know Emmanuel, but let's unpack the power of that name. The power of that name is that he shall be called Emmanuel, which is also wonderful. In other words, he is full of miracles. Wonderful, full of wonder. He's like none other. When He comes, He will be full of wonder. He shall be the Counselor, the Comforter, 
the one who speaks all truth. He shall be El Gebor, the mighty God. Uh, in Hebrew, it's a phrase that means the warrior God, God of war and power, authority to fight and defeat. Now, He's not just going to defeat Assyria. He's not going to defeat Rome. Rome. He's not going to defeat human armies. He is going to defeat the power of sin and death and the devil himself. This is God's sign. And this is God's victor. And he will not only do all that, but he will be Ab-Ad, everlasting father. Now this is not to confuse him with the father. It is in fact a phrase, Ab, Abba, Father, Ad, which means life. He is the Father of life. Jesus is the one who will bring eternal life to mankind. So he is the Father, the generator of this eternal life. It is through him we'll find eternal life. So he will be the Father of the everlasting life, the creator of it. He will be the Prince of Peace. So this is well beyond Isaiah's child that was given as a sign to Ahaz. This is the sign that God said, I'm going to give to the house of David who will rule and reign. Now not only that, but not only is Isaiah continuing to unfold this revelation of this child and see how great and majestic realizing this isn't my kid. (laughs) I know my kid, Abba Shabba Dabba Dabba. He's, you know, doing all right, but not this kid. He goes on and reads in chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, now Jesse is whose father? King David. We know that there's a promise to the throne of David. And he's saying there's going to be a shoot, uh, an offspring, uh, a generation, a child shall come forth from the shoot of the stump of Jesse, and a branch from Jesse's roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, and the Spirit of understanding, and the Spirit of counsel, and the Spirit of might and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The seven attributes of the perfection of God are going to be upon him. Isaiah is later going to write, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set captives free, give sight to the blind, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is that same sign that God spoke of that He was going to give to the house of David. It's a sign that all would see this is the work of God. And so He's given Isaiah 9.6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. He's given this uh, shoot that is going to come from the stump of Jesse. What a unique prophecy that now we know he's going to be of the kingly line of David. But why the stump of Jesse? Jesse's got a good family tree here. Why is it from a stump that is cut off the family line? Because what happens later on to the house of David is that there's another wicked king that comes, Jeconiah or Jehoiakim. Either name is used for this one. And God prophesied that this king who is wicked, God said, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days. For none of his offspring shall succeed 
on sitting on the throne of David or ruling in Judah. So God writes through Isaiah that he's going to come from the stump of Jesse, a shoot, a branch, even before the time when the the genealogy of David is cut off by a curse. Jeremiah prophesies of this curse that's coming, and it's because of that king. So now what are we going to do? God, oh man, you messed up. The only hope and sign that you said that was coming through the house of David, you just cursed. You just cursed the line of David. Great. Have you ever had this attitude with God? You blew it. I have. I've had opinions on how things should go. And when I don't see them go that way, I'm figuring God is not on the top of his game. I mean, come on. We all know that the Messiah is going to come through David. But he can't now. Because God just cursed the royal line of David. Now what do you do with that? But there's a prophecy, isn't there? That even though this descendant of David is going to come from his roots, it's cut off, but there's a shoot that is branching out of this lineage. Just as a point of interest, it's interesting that in Hebrew, the word for branch or shoot is nazer. And so out of the line of David shall come forth a nazer. Does that word sound familiar to you? There's a little town, yeah, in, in Judea, that is called Sprout Town. It's Nazar, the town of Nazar. And so this sprout is going to come, but again, there's a sign. And he's going to come. So what are we going to do with this situation now? We've got the kingly line of David cut off and in fact cursed and said that anyone that comes through that line will never reign on the throne of Judah. And never reign with King David. So what are we going to do with that little sprout? How is it going to continue on? And so let's take a look at the genealogy of things. In the book of Luke, we see that in fact Joseph is a direct descendant of David and Jeconiah. So Joseph is not just some backwoods carpenter. He is in fact in the royal line and if Jeconiah had not been cursed, would have been in the royal line for king. But he's cursed and ended up being a carpenter because Jeconiah had created this cutting off of the family tree. Joseph, you could take, Luke takes you back to his lineage, and he comes through Nathan, the firstborn of David. Wow, so he is he's of the kingly line of that firstborn. But it also, Luke also takes him all the way back in his genealogy back to who's this guy? Adam. Man's already cursed. We got a problem. Anybody born in this family tree is cursed through the curse of Adam that covers every single human being, as well as now, though there was a promise of a kingly line that would last for eternity through David, Jeconiah, because of his sins, cut off the stump of Jesse, and now Joseph is cursed himself. 
So there's supposed to be a sign. There's supposed to be a son, a child given, that the Lord shall do himself. So, so what then is key to all of this? The virgin birth. Because if you look over here in Matthew, he gives us Mary's genealogy. And when you see that Mary came from David as well, only she came through the kingly line of Solomon. Solomon was not the firstborn of David, was he? But Solomon became king, did he not? And so Mary goes all the way back to Abraham in that gospel because what was supposed to come from Abraham to bless all nations and the world? The seed of Abraham. In fact, go all the way back to Adam and there was a promise to Eve. What? The seed of the woman. And so here's the sign, the seed, the child of God shall be born. But though Joseph is in the kingly line by birth, it's a cursed line. Mary is of that same line of Solomon, and so her child has the rightful ability to become king and sit on the throne. There's the legal ability and the rightful heir. And both do that. But God said to Mary, what? You shall have a child, for the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and put the seed of God in you, and you shall have birth. Now, now she said this, how can this be? I have not known any man. Her confession is she's a virgin. She has had no relations. And so, according to Isaiah 7.14, the Lord Himself shall give a sign to the house of David, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child, and His name shall be what? Emmanuel. Isaiah 9.6, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And who else? The branch out of the stump of Jesse. This is Jesus. This is the key to the virgin birth, and the key to Christmas. This is what we celebrate. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. For by Jesus being born of a virgin, He was born in the womb of Mary, who was a descendant of David, but not by the cursed line of Joseph. Joseph is his rightful father, but not his biological father. Jesus inherits the right through Joseph to reign as king, but doesn't inherit the curse. He also inherits the kingly right through Solomon and Mary to reign as the Lord. But because he's born of a virgin, that seed of God was put within Mary so that he is fully God and fully man. Lo, it is written of me in the book, Hebrews 10 says, Sacrifice and offering you were not pleased with, but a body you have prepared for me. I come to do thy will, O God. And that's Jesus speaking. And because he was in the womb of Mary, and all my nurses here know this, and I preach this every year because it's an amazing story, and it's a sign. But the baby inside a mother's womb can be of a different blood type than the mother. Because the mother's blood does not mingle with the baby's blood. 
Therefore, Jesus' blood was untainted. Was, uh, it was not tainted by the curse of Adam, and it was not tainted by the curse of Jehoiakim. It was pure, outside of Adam, but yet fully man. That's why it is essential to trust the virgin birth and declare it. Now, there have been all sorts of liberal scholars and atheists and people who say, well, we don't need the virgin birth. We don't have to believe in the virgin birth. Our our good buddy Rob Bell, who has already eliminated hell, also has eliminated the virgin birth. Liberal scholars for centuries now have said, ah, there's no need for the virgin birth. If there is no virgin birth, there is absolutely no salvation There's no deliverance and there's no eternal life for us. It cannot be achieved because if Jesus was not born of a virgin, his blood was not pure, and he could therefore not be the spotless lamb and present himself as the perfect sacrifice. So as important as the resurrection is, it's just as important the virgin birth. Jesus' blood must be pure. And the only way it could be pure is the sign that God spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah saying, therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive a child and you shall call His name Emmanuel, God with us. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate this sign at Christmas. When you understand this, you'll begin to understand that the virgin birth brought Jesus who now births you. That blood essentially is what cleanses you and brings you into eternal life. If His blood was not spotless, you could not be saved because there'd be no atonement for you. If his blood was of the curse of Adam while hanging on that tree, it had no propitiation for our sin. It is essential to trust the virgin birth. It is essential as a doctrine. And we celebrate Christmas for that reason. We've forgotten this in the church. We just, oh, thank God Jesus came. Why and how? As a sign. Christmas should be lit up in your life. Christmas should be full of joy and celebration. You should be telling everybody about Christmas. And don't back down. It's God's sign to this world that He loves it. And He's got a Savior here for all mankind. Right? I remember when I was growing up, well, I grew up in a Presbyterian church and and we had Christmas and all this kind of stuff. And, and then uh, my wife and I, we attended a church that was, ah, you know, had, the, had that debate. Maybe some of you here have it. I'll, I'll wreck it for you. Um, they had this thing, and I remember it was a real, you know, no Christmas tree. None of that Christmas. We don't bow down and worship Christmas trees here. No Christmas trees. You know, I was like, I don't worship my tree. I like that. It's just a tree. I was young and influenced by that, and I was ready to throw out Christmas. And my wife grew up in that church, and she got used to it and didn't pay any attention to it. (laughs) Thank God for her parents. They knew better. But I, I was under that legalism as I came into it. And so no lights, no Christmas tree, no Santa Claus. 
Of course, St. Nick, we, we tell the kids he's a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? You deal with that however you want. But I, I was ready to throw it out. This was early in our marriage, and it was like, we're not having any of that in our house. We serve Jesus. And there are denominations that eliminate Christmas. It's a pagan holiday. It came. The, the church took it over from a pagan solstice, and you should have nothing to do with it. Listen. It's the celebration of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, which is absolutely essential to Christianity. Shout it from the housetops. Put a tree on your chimney. Do something. Tell everybody the story of Jesus. When you're in the stores Christmas shopping and they say Merry Christmas, say Merry Christmas, a sign has been given. A born was, a baby was born unto us. Celebrate Christmas. Celebrate this holiday. Absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. Let me give you a conclusion to this. Why is Christmas so important? Because it is God's sign to the world that He loves the world. Number one, it bypasses the curse of Adam. Therefore, Jesus is a man. He is called the last Adam. Now, I say the last Adam and not the second Adam because... uh, uh, some people think that if he's the second, then there's a third and a fourth. I'm sorry, he's it. That's it. Hebrews says, in these days the Lord has spoken, finally, last of all, by his Son. All right? And he is the last Adam. He represents a new man unto God, and he stood representing all of mankind, and he bypassed that curse. His blood is pure. Therefore, he bypassed the curse on the kingly line. Can I tell you what then? If Jesus is not the king of the Jews, who can be? No one! Because it's cursed. It's a cursed line. There cannot be a king of the Jews from the house of David. Why? I just told you why. It's cursed. God did that so that there is no other way, no other explanation, and no other man that can stand on that throne. Anybody get this? Look excited for me then. Right? It's only by the virgin birth. It's only by Jesus. There is only one king of the Jews. There can only be. The one who was born of a virgin and bypassed the curse on that line. Now, what this did is it made Jesus the perfect sacrifice. His blood was pure. In Acts 20 it says it's the blood of God. This is the blood of God. God became a man so He could bleed. God became a man so He could purchase mankind from the wrath of God. By his pure blood, he would become that pure sacrifice who had no curse and no sin upon him. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that when his blood spilled out, it was an eternal blood. That means if he's innocent of sin and he took sin upon him and died, did death have a right to hold him? Absolutely not. Why? He was sinless. And his blood had no sin, no taint of Adam, no curse of Jehoiakim. Death could not hold him. Therefore, you can't have a resurrection unless you have a virgin birth. 
And therefore, he conquered sin, grave, and death. And here's the essential part for you and I. It's that blood that cleanses our sin. It's that blood and that birth that gives us new birth. I shall give you a sign. He shall be my son. And because of that, now we, he's the firstborn among many sons. We now can become sons of God. Every one of us because of that virgin birth and the blood of Jesus which now bypasses us from that curse. He takes us out of Adam because of that spotless blood and puts us into Himself so that He begets a son and begets a son and begets a son. Even though you're female, you're a son. All right, If I'm the bride of Christ, you're the Son of God. You're a son. You're a son. He begets a son that now becomes a sign to your generation and your world that you're the sign of God. That you were birthed a son without sin, spotless because of the blood of Lamb applied to your life. You are now a sign of God to the world. And that's the last point. Christmas is a sign to the world that God gave a son You're that sign to this generation and age because you're now that son born of the blood of Jesus. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. If there's anybody here this morning, maybe you're a guest, a visitor, maybe you've been here a hundred years, I don't know. I want to give you a gift for Christmas. The gift I want to give you for Christmas is eternal life. Christmas is the celebration of that virgin birth. That birth of Jesus that made Him spotless and clean. That can make you spotless and clean. So I would ask this morning if there's anyone here that has never asked that blood, that cleansing blood of Jesus to be applied to their life, 